0: Right now, at CBUS, we're building a new future for all of us. By building new projects in property, investing in infrastructure and putting millions into Australian businesses, we're not only helping to create around 100,000 jobs, we're strengthening the economy. And with a history of strong, long-term performance, we're building a better, more secure future for all of us. Consider if CBUS is right for you, go to cbussuper.com.au for a PDS. I had to go about it, This is the Final Word Cricket Podcast. I'm Adam Collins, and down the zoom line for me is Jeff Lemon. The reason we're not in the same place is that I'm already at Brisbane. I'm about 800 metres from the Jabber. That's where you'll be as well, Jeff, tomorrow afternoon when you join me in this delightful Airbnb. For the first time seemingly ever, it's as though we've nailed our accommodation on account of the fact that Rach did it for us. And I can't wait to welcome you here. But for today, I welcome you to the show.
1: Yes, the Woolly Jabber. We will be there. We'll be, <laughs> we'll be sort of like Robinson Crusoe at the Test Match, it seems like. Not, not many people coming from interstate to Brisbane on account of the uncertainty around being able to get out again but you know we didn't roll the dice on sydney so we have rolled the dice on vegas because why not why not go to the <laughs> vegas of the north one of the one of the great cities take a ferry ride along the river you know watch the the lights on the bridges as a proud queenslander <laughs> i am um looking forward to getting home your your home city of
0: course having migrated here mm. during COVID, so to speak I, I would i think that's worth this worth us going through actually so you're here i'm here And anyone who's already based in Brisbane, of course, is here. But other than that, all of the television crews who were in Melbourne last week and who were going to go to Brisbane are no longer doing that because obviously that's Mm -hmm. a lot of logistical back and forth if things did go wrong and radio stations are staying put where they are on account of the fact that, you know, it's hard to move an entire broadcast. For my part, if the border did shut at short notice, well, I'd obviously cross, go back to Melbourne and do the rest of the test match from the studio down there. But hopefully Mm. things stay as they are. There were no cases here today, no cases in Melbourne. So if we get through this week and get back to Victoria on the other side of it, then we'll have done very, very well. But
1: yeah, it's going to make for a a different kind of... if if you if you get another 15-minute notice border closure, you'll just have to move to Queensland with me and just become a Queenslander. I will, I will. We
0: can go to the Caxton and smash some Bundy rums and go and yep. uh, bow to the Wally Lewis statue at Lang Park and all those other yep. things that I'm sure were, were, were I've, part of the... I've,
1: um, I've actually paid tribute to the Wally Lewis statue with Cam Fink once before we went there and did some <laughs> did some filming, did a bunch of Vox Pops of Melbourne Storm fans in Brisbane. That was a day, I'll tell you what. haven't <laughs> Had a rich and varied existence It's not entirely been around cricket. There, there have been some sidelines as well.
0: Um, so, well, yes, if we get back, we get back. If we don't, we don't. But it'll be interesting covering a test where there's only... A handful of people from our kind of bubble, and I say bubble advisedly mm-hmm. because obviously <laughs> bubble's got a different meaning now. But you know, before this all went down with COVID, there's a group of people, a, a pack of sorts, that cover the Australian team of which we're part of and go around the world together, kind of, and become quite close mates. And for the most part, they are either in Sydney, haven't having taken the punt to go to the SCG test. So, mm-hmm. for example, Brat Sunderason falls into that boat. He broke the story that India would play in Sydney, then Sydney again, but. The BCCI intervened. We'll come in. We'll come to that in a moment. I think actually in a bit more detail. And others who, yeah, as I say, we're going to go from Melbourne to Brisbane, but then the degree of difficulty of stitching the whole thing together was too great, so they yeah. are, are not going to be here. So, anyway, if you uh, want to hear more from Jeff and me at the Gabber and want to pay us money to do so, we're all here. <laughs> That'll be uh, <laughs> <our> st- <laughs> if you want to take advantage of our proximity. <laughs> I'll be remiss of us not to mention that the show itself today is going to be a conversation around the fallout from Sydney. We're going to talk a little bit about England and Sri Lanka. We did tease a guest for today. Unfortunately, that fell through at the very, very last minute. However, it'll be on next week's show. I won't tell you who it is. We'll leave you in some suspense, but we've got an Australian Mm. player coming to join us to tell us all about his life in cricket, but that will be this time next week. But yes, so what, what we're going to do here is talk about what's going on in and around this final Test match, which is Fascinating on so many levels. Uh, Then some Nerd Pledge. And then some... As I say, we'll we'll cross over to Sri Lanka and and get a handle on what's going on over there. Jeff, this week's Test match at Brisbane, before we sort of go into... Can can
1: I... But before we jump into the the heavy lifting stuff, um, can I throw in an early nomination for our Cbus Super Performer of the Week? Please do. In that Shakib Al Hassan is making his comeback for Bangladesh um, against West Indies next week in in a one day after being banned, having lined up the best timed corruption ban in <laughs> cricket history <laughs> having having been banned for 12 months right at the start of COVID um, a few weeks beforehand before it became obvious that he wasn't going to miss any cricket at all they just having put the feet up for a year, after having got some some dodgy WhatsApps from a, a shifty bookie and not reporting it, and there wasn't really evidence that he did anything more than that. But you know, it was it, it was not great. But you know, had the feet up, watched England West Indies on the telly. You know, potted around at home, maybe did some did some repairs out the back on the on the old shed or something. And and now <laughs> they're allowed to play cricket again. Oh look, my band's expired. So just just glorious areas right next to the pin. Off the tee, um, to use an analogy from a sport that I don't like at all. Yeah,
0: Shaqib. Timing is everything. So our Cbus bus Super Performer of the Week is Shaqib al Didn't expect you saying uh, that today, but here we are. I'm trying to find a tangential link to this, but I won't even try. Don't get stumped when it comes to your retirement. Visit cbusuper.com.au forward slash uh, the final word. We now have a landing page there. Long story short, mm-hmm. if you're thinking about your super... If you're reading about super in the news, if this isn't something you've dealt with before, cbussuper.com.au forward slash the final word and have a read and sort it out. Of course, uh, past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. And if you want to get more information, product disclosure statements are available in any format you want. Word, Excel, PDF. We like them in PDFs. Mm -hmm. And you can get that all, again, from cbussuper.com.au forward slash the final word. And we're just thrilled that they're working with us again in 2021. We love the Cbus Super annuation fund.
1: <laughs> we're, we're very passionate about everybody's superannuation. It's good to have some because it means you've got money um, when you're too old to earn money. That's my fundamental understanding <laughs> of, of the entire thing. But onwards with what we're looking at uh, in the sh- in the show on the show around the show today. We talked quite extensively on the India daily after the end of day five at the SCG about Tim Payne's sledging episode and so I don't think we need to go through that again because we we laid that all out but it was interesting that the following day he made a point of uh, doing a press conference that he wasn't scheduled to do and giving a an apology for that and it was an actual apology it wasn't a sort of to anyone I might have offended it was you know a, a genuine apology that he said that he'd he he lost his cool and um, and was embarrassed about it and thought that it reflected poorly on the team and wasn't the way that he wanted to lead that team and, and wasn't something that he would have accepted from one of his players so I, I thought he handled that pretty well in the end.
0: I agree. He's right. It did reflect poorly upon the team and you only needed to look at the coverage, not just in Australia, but around the world to the videos that were popped up. Interestingly, one of those videos was from our dear friend and patron, Nick Tuvey who had, I think, 3 million views on Twitter from the video he put up and took off the television, which now, of course, has been taken down by Twitter. But I digress. The uh, Yeah, no, the, the apology itself was sincere and it's, I suppose, what you want from a leader when they fuck up. Is that they realised they fucked up pretty quickly and get on the front foot and explain themselves, and he did. Mm. Uh, so you know, it's not as though we, we are we're we're going to be sort of sitting here and, and explaining away what happened on Monday. That we 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 set our piece then, and you know, and our comments were sort of widely reported after that. Fair enough. Fair enough. But the fact that he had enough uh, self-awareness is probably the word. And that, that comes back to Tim Payne being a grown-up. You know, you think about perhaps the alternative approach, which is to dig the heels in, say there's nothing to see here, it's all just banter, and, and explain it away like that.
1: Or, or tempers get frayed. Oh, you yeah. know, to a grown-up, grown men out on the field. Or, you know, a few words will be said, but you know, exactly, not do that. But, but
0: because he saw the bigger picture, you see, and I think that's where mm-hmm. Payne has been good over the wider span of time he's realised that the reputation of Australian cricket was in the sewer after South Africa it was his job to rehabilitate that his legacy is that really and the fact that it risks being diminished uh, if they go the other way meant that he saw fit to get out there and, and do the right thing so fair play to him for that I suppose the the broader pattern of him getting frustrated when things aren't going so well and reacting negatively. He's still a test cricketer. He'll be playing at the Gabba this week in one of the most highly anticipated test match deciders in in, in a long while, really. So he'll be tested again in this respect. And I hope... Mm -hmm that this is a, an experience that sets him on a different course and he doesn't fall into those traps again because it did reflect poorly on him. And there were pot shots from everywhere and maybe we'll get into this in a bit more depth around the Steve Smith stuff mm. that we're about to talk about in a moment. But yeah, he, he wouldn't be immune to that. And again, that's because he doesn't just live in this... I'm going to use the word bubble again doesn't just live in the cricket bubble Tim Payne's got you know a a sort of well he had before he was Australian captain a semi-normal life he's got broader experiences Mm -hmm. in life than just being an Australian cricketer due to all the injuries he experienced through his 20s and, and early 30s so I think that puts him in good stead when needing to backflip I said it on the show before but one of the major lessons from my time in politics was that the public love a backflip if you it shows that you are listening there's nothing worse than a politician who digs their heels in and maintains a line for month after month after month when it's lost credibility to the public all Mm. it does is diminish the politician well the same applies for the Australian cricket captain in in this situation so yeah to echo your thoughts off the top well handled Tim Payne's
1: semi-normal life life. you could you could picture him in a music video he'd sort of you know he could have the look get on the beach, get the, Certainly get earlier the ruffled on, hair blowing you, in the wind. You
0: can see, like, what's that story about Tim Payne in the early Big Bash days, how he you know had to have the hair tips before going out and doing the photo shoot? And so, Tim Payne in that era would have fit right in, yeah. perhaps not so much these days, as I say, grown-up <laughs> family man and all the rest. And the Steve Smith kerfuffle. Now, I think it's worth is actually spending some time talking about this because Twitter, that particular website doesn't lend itself to nuance at the best of times and yesterday and the evening before things got completely out of control and you can see how it would happen because if you look at a video out of context and you know if you're told a certain thing if Rinder Mm. Saywag is telling you a certain thing and he is one of your heroes and you trust his perspective then you're going to be inclined to repeat that thing and 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 so Mm. it went and so it went and so it went. And by the time that we woke up yesterday, I could not believe uh, the shitstorm around this. And I think the reason yep. why it's worth going into it in some detail is because one of the great privileges of being a cricket reporter is that we actually are at the ground watching Steve Smith bat day after day after day, both at training and in matches. I reckon I've seen, I don't know, 60 to 65 of his 76 test matches in the flesh, something like that. And it means that you get to pick up these little ticks. And um, it's just worth saying again for the record that he does this all the time. He's constantly fielding, marking guard at either end for reasons that I'm not going to explain. I'm just pointing out that it happens. I'm not mm. I'm not going to sit here and say that him doing it is a good or bad thing. I, like, I've never really thought about it too much, to be honest with you. It's never really crossed my mind as a thing either way. It's obviously not in the protected area. It's not affecting where the ball is pitching, but he does shadow back constantly. He's marking his guard or, or a version of what he did the other day constantly. So the idea that this was some exercise in trying to mess with the mind of Punt, uh, who you know, that didn't tally to me at any stage but again i acknowledge the privilege there we get to watch this all the time it's not the sort of thing that's picked up on the cameras but because of our position in the press box we're observing it and that was the first part of this so
1: i think when you see something like this it's about the framing of it originally so you see a video and someone says this is steve smith eliminating the guard that richard Pant has marked at the crease right and you will assume that to be true if that's what you're being told yes well that's what it is, and therefore that is that is bad. And so I understand the initial response is like, "Well, that's a bit shit." You know, it's not a it's not a war crime, but it's it's a it's an ordinary piece of. It could be called shithousery or whatever it is. When you look at it more closely, the reality of this kind of situation is that there are pretty much only three guards that test cricketers will use. They might take leg or two leg or middle. Right, they'll. There are three spots they'll mark on the pitch. When you're on the fifth day of a match, you've had a couple of dozen batsmen through uh, several dozen innings have all come out and marked those guards. The guards are permanent. You can't remove a guard. They're gouged into the wicket. They're an inch deep at that point. So what you see Smith come up and do on the video isn't, removing anything because he can't remove anything not to mention the fact that by the fifth day the pitch has been pretty much baked into clay and the idea that scuffing your foot across it a few times is going to eliminate a guard is nonsense and then even if it did any batsman particularly after a drinks break because this happened at the drinks break this was where the video was from and after the drinks break you see Rishabh Pant walk up and immediately take centre as just about any batsman would do after a break because they take their guard again to get themselves back into the zone. And so even if there was some attempt to do something deliberate, there was literally zero chance of it actually doing anything. And it was it's been really weird to be advancing this position and then somehow being cast as an Australian partisan, you know, oh, yeah. at the same time and as, you know, writing articles being highly critical of the way Australia went about that test match. But that particular instance, look, if there was something wrong with it, I'd be the first person willing to say it, but there isn't because it didn't do anything and it couldn't have done anything. What Steve Smith did out there could not have affected the pitch or the match or the, the batsman in any way.
0: Yeah. So a former Australian batsman said to me yesterday that by the time day five comes around, the pitch is concrete. You can't move the markings. Now, so that's one point of it. Anyone who knows what a day five pitch looks like knows that's not what's going to happen. So that, that leads me to think that there were some bad faith arguments made by those who should know better on that front. But let's go to intent. I appreciate that if you, again, the framing, if you believe that his intent is to fuck with the pitch in a way that's going to mess with Rishabh Pant or deceive him or whatever, and if you're, um, if what you use to bolster the argument is, well, he was shadow batting left-handed, is, is he going to bat left-handed in his next innings? That is missing the bit about that just being the way Steve Smith's hardwired. Like, the reason he's imitating a left-hander is because a left-hander is batting. And again, I don't want to sort of get into the business of saying that well, he's, everything that he's Steve doing, Smith... He's
1: tactically thinking. He's thinking about tactics and that Nathan are and, and Nathan
0: Lyon said this. And so Nathan Lyon made this point this morning when we spoke to him ahead of his 100th test match, and we'll come to that in a bit as well, that Steve Smith does stand at the crease and does give advice to his bowlers about what he thinks will, will work. Now, I appreciate that after all of this there might be uh, a stricter interpretation of the, the law about scuffing up the pitch, which, you know, that is in the MCC laws of cricket. You know, the fielding mm-hmm. captain can be pulled into line very quickly by the umpire if they think that. I suppose the reason why historically no one cares is because that particular part of the pitch, as you say, Jeff, is already so scuffed up Beyond recognition that it doesn't affect where the ball pitches, it doesn't affect the trajectory of the ball or anything like that. it's It's on the the the, the crease line where the ball isn't isn't hitting because obviously that'd be a full toss if the ball ever did reach there. Uh, very unlikely scenario the ball would ever hit that part of the pitch. So yeah, but then there's intent. and I, I suppose what I think's worth just articulating here, and yeah, you you picked up on it a bit, the idea that somehow by pointing this out, that you or I or any, anyone else who who, who went through the, the, the actual sort of... In a dispassionate way, went through actually what we've seen in the past was somehow some Australian barracking, parochial, whatever. I mean, for fuck's sake. I mean, you know, it, usually we're getting pinged for being un-Australian or other versions of that kind of tag mm. because we don't support Australia enough. And yesterday it was, it was the other way around. Of course, all of that's bullshit and I shouldn't care and I don't really, but it's just... Again it's another part of this it, it's, ongoing it's an
1: indicator of how partisan it is. It's an indicator yes. of how quickly it fell. It fell to, you know, most of the criticism was either pissed off Indian supporters or pissed off English cricket supporters. And funny that I'm saying, oh look, it's the Aussies cheating again because because that's a that's a convenient sort of way to look at it if you already have a an antagonism towards Australia as a cricketing country, and there are many reasons to have an antagonism towards Australia as a cricket country. But deciding that things have to fit that when they actually don't, it, it doesn't reflect any credit on the person making the argument.
0: Yeah, and let's go through it. I mean, when Australia, when 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 England won the World Cup with a boundary count back at Lords two years ago, the shittiest mm. fans in the world were Australians. And it Absolutely. was and it was fucking em- and it was fucking embarrassing, and it's still embarrassing. Whenever you see some dead shit jump up on Twitter and start abusing English cricketers or whatever about you know the World Cup they didn't win, it's it's cringeworthy. You know when Ben Stokes got into his you know shameful kerfuffle at embargo a couple of years ago, it was Australian fans who took enormous delight in that when Joss Butler mm. was pinged for swearing at Vernon Philander not a million miles away from what Payne was saying to Ashwin mm-hmm. a couple of days ago. I can't remember exactly what Butler said,
1: but it was, you know... Oh, getting... it, was, it was about him being fat, you know, being yeah. a fat <laughs> yeah. it, was, it, it
0: was and it was personal and it wasn't called for. It was um, childish. It was childish. And I suppose all I'm saying here is is that how quickly it is is that fans, especially Australian and English fans, will rush to these corners to bolster mm. their pre-existing notions. I mean, it's just... I, I get that there's sport in that, like that in itself is part of the fun when it comes to Ashes cricket. Yeah. And any Indian fans, uh, you know, uh, 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 and, I'm, and I don't want to sort of say Indian fans, like all one billion Indian cricket supporters, but when you overlay that, just the sheer number of human beings who love the Indian cricket scene. And when, you know, when, when the the framing of the, the argument is that they've been hard done by, and a batsman who put in a superb effort in Sydney in the second dig, Rishabh Punt was somehow being deceived by Stephen Smith, who has this you know mm. charge of cheating leveled at him which builds on what happened at Cape Town 2 years ago it completely loses a sense of perspective the whole thing goes down the shitter and here we are again where you know <laughs> it, it just it, it it's just fucking infuriating and at some point I <laughs>
1: What I found most comical about the whole thing was the sort of idea that even if you could I mean, you could you could wipe out someone's guard maybe in the first hour on an English pitch when it was a bit soft but, you know, day five, no. But the idea that even if you could, that, that maybe Punt would take guard in the wrong place, like just forget where the stumps are. It's like, you can look behind you and, and work it out. But no, no, he accidentally took guard at short leg and got bowled by you know, behind his pants. Mm. Yeah, it's not not, not really going to work out that way.
0: And look, and just to Put a full stop on this. Look, maybe it is shit that Smith always does this. I mean, and I'm not saying shit as in you know uh, deceptive or cheating or whatever. But maybe he shouldn't be doing this. I've never thought about it. Mm. Honestly, it's never crossed my mind because he's not the only one that does it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm thinking about it in my own. I mean, I reckon when I'm playing cricket, I, I you know I reckon I'm the sort of person who being fussy and all the rest of it, goes up and looks at the footmarks and fucks around with the pitch mm. and whatever. I mean, but maybe people shouldn't be doing that when they're in the field. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. Let's have that conversation. But to charge it and turbocharge it into a... And I described it as like hive mind, internet hive mind. You know, there were 25 million views mm. on that video, framed that way, as you say, in the space of a few hours. And I'm pretty sure that Verinda Saywag knows what a day five pitch looks like. I'm pretty sure he knows <laughs> that Stephen Smith isn't removing Richard Punt's guard. But he also knows that he'll get a gazillion retweets out of it. And that's where yeah. I get shitty. It's the bad faith actors who are able to use their gigantic platforms to totally skew a debate and to almost, um, you know, I had an experience a, a few days ago when a well-known Australian racist quote tweeted me and almost sicked his people on me. And and that that wasn't a very pleasant experience mm. to go through, but you know, uh, on a, on a, but this scale, we're talking about here, we're talking millions and millions and millions of people, Steve Smith never had a chance to explain himself. Now, maybe he should have done a press conference with Tim Payne yesterday to get ahead of it. Maybe that was the right thing
1: to but do. But in a way, that, that sort of looks like he's got something to explain yeah. when it was such an innocuous thing. And I've seen a lot of people kind of quite um, with a a measure of um, sanctimony saying the batting crease belongs to the batting side and the fielding side has no business being there. The fielding side has to bowl on it. That's also where the bowlers come through. It doesn't belong to one side or another. and you like you off, you'll, you'll see players at a drinks break. sometimes you'll see fielders go up and pick up one of the batsman's bats and feel the weight of it and ask them a question about the bat. you know they're not introducing termites into the bat handle to try to make sure that it breaks at a crucial moment and gets them out hit wicket. You know, no, not everything is about some kind of sneaky scummy way of of seeking a minor advantage and so if you're in the fielding side you have to know how to bowl out there and putting yourself in the position of the batting side seems like a pretty reasonable thing to do and the wicket doesn't belong to either team the umpires warn you they warn the batsman for running on it they warn the bowler for running on it the pitch belongs to the umpire not to either team
0: yeah that seems like a reasonable place to leave this but yeah, I, I suppose it's almost a, a waste of breath saying this, but it's an Ashes year and Vish pointed that on mm-hmm. Twitter. I think Vish and Izzy were talking about it and I jumped in on the replies and said that the point they were making was it's going to be fucking awful this year <laughs> with Australia and England and yeah. the build-up to it and I made the point that New Zealand play Bangladesh at the same time. Maybe I'll go and cover that instead because it's draining. Mm-hmm. It's just totally draining. But then, but then again, not for everyone. I suppose if you're not in it day-to-day, maybe it's quite fun seeing these Stouches play out through the media and the sort of pantomime stuff and whatever, but yeah, I... I, I felt for Steve Smith yesterday. Steve Smith's done a, a lot of good things in the game and some very obvious bad things in the game, which he's been punished for. But getting pings for this, I mean, yeah. I mean, what can you say? We, we've almost said it all now, but it, it did feel like he was stitched up a beauty.
1: The other major controversy going around at the SCG, it's been a pretty heavy test for, uh, for, for these kind of arguments. The... Racism charges, so day three and day four at the SCG, the uh, Indian team reported that they'd been racially abused from the stands. There was a lot of back and forth about whether what happened on day four was actually racial abuse or whether it was other kind of abuse. But that, that kind of missed the point in the end that what happened on day three, the Indian team, was unequivocal that that was racist abuse coming at them over the fence. And so the reporting and the stopping of play on day four was a direct follow-on from what had already happened on day three. It was in that context, which I think is the point that a lot of people were missing when arguing back and forth over exactly what was said on day four, as if that alone can prove whether racism does or does not exist in Australia, which is a a fairly ludicrous position to be starting from anyway to to say that there's no problem and Australia's a tip-top country.
0: Yeah, and Indian officials have now briefed out through the press that they believe on. I think they said three days at Sydney last week, players identified racial slurs. And as we pointed out on The Daily Show, my instinct
1: is to believe the players that
0: aren't making shit up. You know,
1: why would they? Well, why why would they? What possible yeah. incentive is there to put yourself in the middle of a Especially really unpleasant situation? And you could see with Mohamed Siraj on day four how shaken he was that when he came in to report it and... You know, a couple of the other Indian players had their arms around his shoulders and he was visibly upset. He was it, – it's it's hard work reporting things like that, reporting when you've been mistreated and mm. abused. It's actually a really difficult thing to do and it's quite a distressing thing to do. And that was obvious that, you know, that was how he was feeling at the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I made this point on The Daily Show but it's worth repeating. The toxic online culture we were talking about, Reece Smith, a moment ago – Imagine you're a young Indian player and you've alleged that, you know, you've been hurled racist abuse. You know, if the conclusion is that he's made it up, it's going to be very hard to obviously prove it one way or the other. That's the nature of these things. But your life wouldn't be worth living. Uh, on social media I mean from from the perspective of the abuse you'll cop for the rest of your life if you made up something like that so and they would know that they're not dumb they're, like they've been around the world the, the, the conversation with the junior Indian players before they came out here was along the lines of make sure you talk to your senior players about this stuff you know and Siraj falls into the category of being a new player and um, has mm-hmm. acted bravely, as Brat Sundarayson said in his quite magnificent piece about racial abuse in Australia, coming from the perspective of someone who obviously grew up in India and worked in India and moved to Australia later in life, that it, it is very easy just to ignore it. It is very easy to make a joke out of it and, and get on with it and, and to almost assimilate. It's much harder to call it out, and to the immense credit of Muhammad Siraj and Jasprit Bumra and others in the Indian team that made their reports on day three, as you say, all before the blow-up, uh, on that fourth afternoon. I also thought it was mentioning uh, a Twitter thread that went nuts uh, on day five that wasn't directly related to what happened to Siraj, but it prompted a conversation from yeah Sydney entertainer Jan Fran, who explained on Twitter how she feels as though she's never really felt welcome in cricket uh, coming from a Lebanese extraction, despite the fact she's very much Australian. She never felt like the game was for her, and that prompted me to sort of think a bit more about this about um and, and it should about you know we, we talk of the australian men's cricket team being the national team but hmm. it's interesting that there are segments of the community who are just as australian as you and me who don't feel like cricket is for them at all and i think it's a yeah it's something that we'll put it this way i think it might be interesting for us to have a conversation with jan at some point to pick up on that because we come from a cricketing tradition you and I we always had cricket in our I don't know in our blood really uh, coming from families that love the game
1: more in the air around us it was it was part of the background in a way that um, that she explains really clearly that it wasn't for her she didn't see it didn't hear it didn't have anything to do with it um, yeah yeah for a long time and then when at times when she did start to notice it 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 seemed like this is a thing that white people do over there and and you're not really welcome in it. And I think that was, you know, that was one thing I remember noting when I wrote a piece for Wisdom about the 1868 Indigenous team was looking through the history of Australian Test cricketers and even just looking at the names where all of the names are Anglo with the occasional sort of Irish or Scottish name you know there might be a few like a few protestants and catholics were about as diverse as it got Mm. and and it's only in the it's sort of late 80s into the 90s before you even start to get a few eastern european names coming through you know like you've sort of kadich or or nofki or names like that and where even that didn't happen um up until relatively recently um and so then and and it's even more recently still that a handful of Asian names have come through and that things have started to open up just that little tiny bit, you know, and that's before you even get to Indigenous cricketers of whom there have been so few able to represent Australia. So that's the kind of world that that Australian cricket lives in. It's still, certainly at the top level, overwhelmingly a white sport in the multicultural country.
0: Yeah, and when Will Pekofsky made his debut last week, I, I don't remember the exact stat, but is he, like is he the first ski to play for Australia, which when you consider how many people with the last name finishing in ski in Australia there are, to think Mm. that he's the first to make it to this level is quite interesting. The good news is that it can change. I I spent some time in in Bedford a few years ago in... the, one of the poorest uh, pockets of, of England, this particular postcode that I was uh, doing some work in. And the, the real joyous thing there is that the new generation of, of people who have moved to the UK from Poland, for example, had been taking up cricket. And I think that's just a wonderful thing. So, mm. it, yeah, that, that perspective that Jan Fran offers is something we should take note of and, and take seriously, but also use it as a bit of a rallying cry for all of these other Australians who can be brought into the game and hopefully can do so knowing that serious action is taken and when we see stuff go down as we did at Sydney last week
1: well i hope it's the case uh, but yeah it's, it's just sometimes it seems like trying to sweep back the tide you know there's you, <laughs> there are so many people doing so much work and then there are the parts where the moments where it seems like the work hasn't got as far as it could but i guess that's the i guess that's the responsibility of trying to effect change is i remember seeing um ta Coates, the American author, talking about this in relation to the struggle of black America over the last few hundred years and, and saying that a point of realisation for him was that you don't necessarily get To be there when things get better, you don't necessarily deserve to be the person who sees it change. You have to keep doing the work. He was saying if if he thinks about the generations, you know, five generations, ten generations before him, they didn't get to have the advantages, but they still had the fight. Mm. And so he he saw it as as realizing that his role was to continue the fight um, without necessarily feeling that everything was going to be solved in his lifetime that wasn't how it was going to be but you had to keep the fight going nonetheless.
0: Glib segway, speaking of fights that are trying to be won at the moment, India don't like the hotel very much. So sticking with non, yeah. non-cricket stuff, there's reports today, Jeff, that after they agreed to go to Brisbane, this is the Indian team, they're not thrilled that they don't have the sort of facilities they thought they would have, which just adds to that niggle, just adds to that spice that's been there for a couple mm. of weeks now. You know, they, they have been on a long tour. It involved a quarantine at the start. It's involved very strict conditions throughout the course of their time. In this country, I'm not saying that all of them have been there for the duration, but a lot of them have, mm. and now on their final leg at Brisbane, they're not thrilled about the accommodation they've got at the moment. So well, I'm sure that'll well, it, parts it of the, so much accommodation. the accommodation, it's the, the room it, service, it's,
1: it's the ability to use the accommodation. Yes. So they, effectively, they're operating almost under quarantine rules, like you or I experienced, where no one's allowed to come into the room, so that means you have to do all of the you know the housekeeping stuff yourself you can't get food sent up because they don't want to be handling plates and cutlery and things like that so you, you can order takeaway food or you get food dropped off in disposable containers and um, and they can't use the pool. I think that's the major one because the players doing rehab want to be able to swim to deal with their injuries, but they can't do that. And we saw from the World Cup last year from Dimuth Karunaratna and his Sri <laughs> Lankan team just how stroppy a cricket team can be when they can't get in the pool. And uh, I don't know, will the lack of pool just make India angrier or, or will it derail them? Everybody's injured anyway, yes. so... I mean, this is, they are an absolutely patched together team stumbling into the test match later this week. Like, what are they, everyone's hurt. Jasper Boomer is out now. So the entire pace attack they started the tour with, already missing two of their best five fast bowlers with injury who didn't even come on the tour. All three of them have gone down in the meantime and they're going to have an attack of three fast bowlers who've played Three test matches between them.
0: Yeah. To think that Mohamed Siraj, who we were talking about before, made his taboo a fortnight ago at the MCG and he'll be the attack leader in the deciding test of mm. the series after that magnificent draw at Sydney. Their attack will be Siraj, Saini... Rajan we assume, with that point of difference being a left armer, mm-hmm. along with Ashwin, who had noticeable discomfort through the
1: course of but will Sunday, play? Monday as can, well. Can Ashwin play? He's he's got a buggered back, so Kuldeep Yadav might have to come in for him, left arm wrist spinner. So you might have an entirely new bowling attack in that way. Well, and, and, and also then have to work out.
0: Well, Mayak Agawal may not be able to play either. He copped that blow in the nets, uh, they say, as well. So, it's, okay. it, how they piece this together is going to be fascinating, and just adds another layer to it, doesn't it? That they've had to find new ways to reinvent themselves, almost test on test after Adelaide losing Coley, and then Rahane, the skipper, and then injuries before um, before Sydney, and, and and so it goes. No Judasia of course, and and obviously no uh, Hanuma Vihari either, who tore his hamstring in that extraordinary effort on Monday. So, yeah, um, it, it could mean Kuldeep Yadav, who we haven't seen on these shores since uh, 2019 we may see him uh, his left arm wrist spin has been so effective against australia in the past I'm, I'm surprised he didn't play more often but that's mostly a function of ashwin being so good and then yeah nutrajan who was really only here for the white ball component of the, of the tour he wasn't originally in the red ball squad they kept him on more or less as a net a netball if i recall correctly i don't think he it, was, was, it be... was
1: it was it was basically because to help them trained to face Stark, Stark they wanted yeah. left armor to, to help them with Stark practice and Natarajan said well I'll stay because you never know what might happen and that's exactly <laughs> how it's worked out, the opening has come Prithvi Shaw might have to come back in to open if Mayank Agarwal can't play so Rohit Sharma's fit, Pajara's fit and Rahane's fit, that's the spine of it and then I guess if Shaw comes back into open, Shubman Gill maybe goes down to four or five, Risha bats at six as a specialist batter with a still got a, a badly bruised arm and Riddhima Saha keeps, but you know it, they're, they're literally down to their last eleven players. If Maya Gagawal's not fit, there's there's no one in reserve. If someone rolls an ankle or whatever,
0: yeah, absolutely. And one other point to raise here, and it's not, I think at the moment, uh, for, you know, India Australia, the Border Gavaskar Trophy, the way this series has played out, it's been captivating every day of it for different reasons. It's been captivating. But there's a World Test Championship component as well, which I, I think is worth just breezing through. So India are ahead by two one hundredths of a decimal point over New Zealand at the moment, so let's talk in whole numbers. India are 702, New Zealand are 700, Australia are well ahead of both. So in terms of qualifying for that final at June, at Lords later in the year, or I have heard it's going to be Mm. moved to the AGS Bowl, but let's assume it's at Lords for the time being, with Five test matches to play. India, as we calculated before we came on air, Jeff, they'll need to win three of those and draw two to get enough points because, of course, they're they're now Mm. hypothecating the points. They're doing it by percentage of available points rather than the whole number. So Mm. stripping back the mathematics, they need to... Not get beaten at Brisbane. If they were to lose at Brisbane, they'll lose the trophy and they'll and they'll leave themselves in a situation where they need to sweep England four nil at home next month in order to make the final at Lords. That's despite the fact that they went into the COVID break top of the mm. tree, having the most points to their to their name in their column, and it's yeah it's turned around quite quickly. Even though they've won at Melbourne and drawn at Sydney, so it's on a knife edge for India uh, as far as that competition is concerned, and for the Border Gavaskar.
1: You you wouldn't say that it was a hugely unlikely scenario for them to beat England 4-0 at home, you know, given sure. it's in their conditions. That that would be within their powers, but it's still a big ask. If England produce one good performance or if there's rain or something yeah. like that, then, then they're in strife unless they can at least get, if they could get a draw out of Brisbane, that would help them greatly in, in that regard. Well, which
0: might be possible with rain about as well. So it's going to be fine on day one and day two But and this is not uncommon for Queensland that the forecast mm. it, it, it suggests it will rain on those last three days but at what time of the day it rains of course we, we know yeah. that it's, it's not uncommon for you know missing an hour at the end of the day as the storm blows through but having gotten five hours in before that time will tell on that front I suppose.
1: But also in Brisbane the rain tends to come quickly and leave quickly and the drainage is better than just about any were in the world so right. you know they will get back on at Brisbane even if you have a, a you know as Donald Trump would say a massive dump um, <laughs> that, that wipes out an hour of play they'll be back on an hour later uh, Jeff
0: I think we've just about reached the end of our conversation about Australia and India I didn't expect us to talk for 40 odd minutes but here we are
1: no. Uh, so no well that's, this has happened many, many times in the has. past and it will happen again.
0: <laughs> the supposed 20-minute <laughs> chat has taken 40, but that's OK. It was worth doing. Let's take a break. Let's call our jets just for a minute and we'll come back with some nerd pledge and a conversation about England and Sri Lanka.
1: Hi, I'm Ian Chappell. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. It's the start of 2021. It's January. It, that means it's the first month in 2021, a year divided into 12 months. And as some publications do, they like to put out a publication once per month, one for each of those months, 12 in the year. And that is exactly what the wacky calendar fans at Wisden Cricket Monthly have done. They've put out, Another issue, the first issue of 2021, if you will, uh, even though it probably sneakily came out in December 2020. But it is 2021's first edition and it's got a lot going on, Adam.
0: It does. Great to be working with Wisdom Cricket Monthly again in 2021. What they need to do first, though, is look at 2020 and the, and the 12 months that elapsed in that calendar year not mm-hmm. a great calendar year for planet earth it must be said nor the no. game of cricket the great game of cricket as michael clark would say
1: oh well you're not he's not, he's contractually obliged to never call it just cricket he can't just say that he, he'd say oh well so i, I thought i'd spend a quiet day at home and just turn on the great game of cricket um and just watch a couple of hours of the great game of cricket while i uh, have a drink with some friends great game of cricket.
0: Off the front is uh, the first big interview that Joe Root's done with the magazine since its inception, or its rebirth, if you like, in in 2017 under the Wisdom Cricket Mm. Monthly brand. And that's with Phil Walker, who's the boss. He's the Wisdom Cricket Monthly editor-in-chief. That's some kind of title. And he's some kind of writer Mm. as well. So Phil sat down with Joe Root to not just go through his career as it is right now, but kind of looking what his legacy might be as test captain. Remember, Joe Root's been captain of this team for... Going on four years now, he'll have an Ashes series in Australia, which we mentioned before in the show. is going to be spiteful and horrible, we know that. But he's going to have, you know, a couple of very fast, uh, fast bowlers. Very fast fast bowlers probably could have worded that better. Very but you, fast know, fast bowlers. But you know what I'm trying no, to say
1: because a fast bowler, you know, you can have a fast bowler who's a fast bowler, but they're not a fast fast bowler. They're not yes. a very fast bowler. Well, he hopes he has a couple of very fast fast bowlers because they do tend to blow up various body parts more frequently than is the norm. They're like those. You ever have those um, crash test dummy toys when when you were a kid? Do you remember those? Sure. Yeah, they were like all the rage for a little while, Um, these sort of plastic dolls with different buttons on them, and if you press the button, various parts of their body would fly off. Yes. You could sort of smash them into pieces, the head would come flying off or whatever. That's pretty much a fast bowler.
0: So it's like Jenny Jenny or microwave Jenny. That's what you're trying to say. (laughs) (laughs) Never too niche with the references on the final word. I'm sure some people will like that. England uh, in Sri Lanka, we're about to discuss that, but Joe Harmon went back 20 years to another bad-tempered uh, series that was that was played uh, between those countries. Remembered for Graham Thorpe and Nasser Hussain and some pretty ordinary umpiring but uh, in the case of Nasser Hussain of course they, they won twice in Asia that winter. Once in Pakistan and, and once in Sri Lanka and laid the foundation to that big ramp up they had over the next five years and we had a great conversation with NASA about that on the final word uh, during the first lockdown if you want to learn more but yeah Joe Harmon's taken a look at that in retrospect.
1: There's heaps of other stuff John Stearns can Continuing the series. They've been running for a few months about diversity in English cricket. This one's looking at coaching at the elite level. There's an in-depth look at the Professional Cricketers Association which is the union in England. Interviews with the great Pakistan batsman Muhammad Youssef as well as with David Gower, Ian Salisbury, Ben Duckett, Luke Fletcher and the team of columnists being rolled out again including Adam Collins (laughs) uh, as well as a friend of the show Izzy Westbury and um, I suppose we could go so far as to say, friend of the show, Andrew Miller, uh, he, he goes so far as to much. say,
0: I'm sure Andrew Miller. Well, <laughs> a he is a friend of the show, and I'm sure he'd love to be known as a friend of the show. So he's looked at the World Test Championship. I was just giving him a bit of a sled, truly. Really. No, Miller's looked at the World Test Championship, which I suppose everybody is at the moment, given we're coming towards the end of that first cycle. I'm looking at the summer of Maxi, which it is. I know he's not on Broadway uh, with the test team at the moment, but he's just doing his thing, smashing runs for the stars more often than not. Made a truckload of runs in, in white ball cricket and best part of it all, he's happy and because he's happy we're happy as we said the other week and Izzy had a look into who is going to be crickets marcus rashford as far as who might be the the cricketer who who steps up to be counted in in the broader public debate which was interesting as well because that's not usually the role that cricketers play um interesting those interviews there as well muhammad yusuf david gower i I think david gower has filled more pages in wcm than any other cricketer or former cricketer that might be on account of the fact that he's phil walker's favorite but um always gives a great interview so that'll be worth a read and ben duckett now there's a player who's been off the radar for a couple of years but he'd be my sort of smoky in 2021 he's the kind of character i reckon could because he's so naturally gifted and he's made some big hundreds he's a sort and he's so aggressive as well he's been on an ashes tour before where he ended up of course pouring a pint over jimmy anderson's head at mm, the avenue getting the him avenue back to man, the avenue I'm,
1: that's all you want you, yeah, you just want him back in Perth. I, I do
0: but i i've just got yeah he, he i don't think that It's over for him as far as test cricket's concerned. And, yeah, it's a a great chance, I think, for him to be a a point of difference to Dom Sibley and and Rory Burns, who play that kind of cricket, um, and Duckett, who plays a very different kind of cricket. So there might be a chance for him to wear the three lines again in the future. That's about it, I reckon, Jeff, And and we've got to tell people how how to acquire this magazine. I was just about to do that. Please do it. And explain why it's such a great time to get on board.
1: Right. To get this magazine, you can get a a nice discount because you're a final word listener. uh, Six months subscription for 10 quid or 15 Aussie dollars thereabouts. Go to the link that's in the show notes. You don't need to remember it, but if you want to, it's a bit.ly link, so it's bit.ly slash w c m. TFW, which stands for Wisdom Cricket Monthly, the final word. Put them together, and that's what you get. Links in the show notes. Grab yourself a subscription. Nice discount. Have a read. Hi, I'm Ebony Rainford-Brent, and you're listening to the Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon.
0: This is the Final Word, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Uh, Jeff, before we go any further in this edition of the show, we must, mm-hmm. we must revisit the annals of
1: nerd play. Nerd Pledge. It's the game that we play with the lovely people on our Patreon page. They're the ones who keep the show going, make it possible, and they do that by sending us donations. Uh, But they don't just send normal numbers of dollars and cents. They send specific numbers of dollars and cents that link to cricket in some way. And it is up to Adam and I to work out what the link is. Our first Nerd Pledge is Oliver Grunler, who is our first ever Nerd Pledge with an umlaut In his name. That is a prestigious moment for the final word. Not our first uh, German listener, but our first listener with an umlaut, at least one that has come through the internet form um, interpretation of characters. The number from Oliver is $3.41. And a clue came through from Oliver as well. You don't have to send a clue, but you can. And he did. And he said, I fell in love with cricket on a backpacking trip to New Zealand and Australia during the World Cup... In nineteen ninety one, ninety two, right in your sweet spot, Adam Collins three four one. What do you got? That feels like it could be the
0: opening line of an essay in, in Night Watchman. I reckon. Mm. German finds cricket via backpacking trip in New Zealand and Australia. Yeah. World Cup year. It all lines up.
1: We we met some German backpackers in New Zealand. We we p- did pick them up when they were hitchhiking. We drove did. them to the, 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 um, the weird Hobbit town where all of the Lord of the Rings stuff is.
0: Yeah, I I we were. That's right, because they were with signs saying they wanted to go there, and we drove past them, and we were like, maybe we should just pick them up. Wouldn't that be a nice... And we double back and got them and spent mm. four hours in the car. Good story. Okay, right. So, 341... World Cup 91, 92. I'll show my workings. First of all, I looked at runs in the tournament. But Nobody made 341 as a tally in the tournament. Mm-hmm. The most runs made for an individual was Martin Crowe with 456. Not him. The closest to the pin without going over, as Larry Emder might have said when he was hosting The Price Is Right, mm-hmm. was Brian Charles Lara who made
1: 333. So it's not that Very good So I thought uh, a, a, a solid West Indies number Given that that's what Chris Gale made in the chess oh, course. some years later Of course I was thinking
0: Gooch but Gale too naturally But goodness me uh, Did I hit the jackpot when I looked at the bowling figures I did not expect this at all So hmm. quite the sequence When India played Australia at the Gabba Which most people remember for Dino going nuts and out of the match And his one stellar performance of that competition Kapil Dev and Manosh Prabhaka both took 3 for 41 from 10 overs oh. That was the 1st of March On the 2nd of March, the next day, Don Anarasiri, who, well, Don to his mates, who was a Sri Lankan left-arm Orthodox spitter, he picked up three for 41 off 10 for Sri Lanka in Wellington against South Africa. So three times in the space of two days. Three, three for 41s? In the space of 24 hours, more or less. And then you press Mm. fast forward a few days on from that. And when Australia played Pakistan at the WACA, which was the Mm. loss that all but... Guaranteed that Australia wouldn't make it through to the semi-finals. Mushtaq Ahmed mm. took three for 41 as they bowled Australia yeah, right. out for 172. And then, and then, in the World Cup final, he did it again. Mushtaq Ahmed, when they routed the English middle order, Mushtaq alongside Wazi Makram doing a damage there. Mushy finished with three for 41 from 10 at the Melbourne Cricket Ground, picking up Graeme Gooch, Graeme Hick and Dermot Reeve breaking the English middle order. He did it again. So five times...
1: I did it again. (laughs) 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 Took three for 41. (laughs) Can you imagine Mushtaq Ahmed doing that video clip? (laughs) That is something I would pay to see. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, well, we've got ambition with video
0: youtube now don't we i mean mm. it's fair to okay. say having had well it's i think it's reasonable to say that having had a modicum of success over the last two weeks with people finding the final word on youtube and you know having never really done that before that we've got ambition maybe mm. we should set out set our bar high and by the end of 2021 we want to have bush ahmed singing oops i took 341 again yeah. in a was script for him. But he did. He did it twice. And it was five times in the space of two weeks to win that tournament, 3-for-41. So if it's not that, then it's a hell of a coincidence, but it must be. So thank you, Oliver, for getting on board. That's great.
1: Hmm. One other little tangential link I noticed was that if I took that number to mean 3-for-1, then 3-for-1 was... In, in a subsequent World Cup, that was Australia's score when they that famous game, the group game against South Africa in 1999. Mark War got out oh, yeah. with a score on three, and so they were three for one at that point. But that's a different World Cup. But I just thought I'd tell you that because you know it involves that World Cup and Mark Waugh. You know, and things, wasn't
0: and and th- maybe yeah, there might be something there about the uh, no that I was going to say something about the the scoreboard. We had that recently, didn't we? What the scoreboard said, about at the, the twenty one
1: from one ball. Twenty one from
0: one, so it's nothing really related to three and one yeah. There there. But still I think I'm right No, I reckon I've got Oliver's number there.
1: I did check the scores. There was no team in the nineteen ninety two World Cup that in an innings was either one wicket down with three on the board or three wickets down with one on the board. I did look at that. <laughs> That's diligent. That was not there. So well, you look, you've got to cover your bases, you know, dot your I's, cross your Ts. I love when people get that backwards, you know. Dot the T's and cross your eyes. I did it on Storytime
0: um, last week. I was going to do the Malcolm Tucker of dot the eyes and fuck the T's, but <laughs>
1: anyway. Uh, what's the next um, number, Jeff? The, the next one comes in from Paul Cherry, a, a suitable name for this time of year. When they're in season... Go and get yourself a bag. I had a really good time um, <laughs> driving around Tasmania a few years ago. I stopped at a cherry orchard and they have the they sell what they call the seconds, which are the ones the, the cherries that have been a little bit damaged by the rain. They might they might have split a little bit at the top or something and, and then healed over. So the shops won't take them because they don't look perfect, but they are still perfect. And they'll give you like a, a several kilogram sack of these for like five bucks. And it's the best thing you can do. Disastrous results at the other end later on when you've just eaten three kilograms of cherries, yeah. <laughs> but worth it. I, I would do it again. Like Mushtaq Ahmed, I've, I've seen you
0: do this before. Maybe in the film clip, you'll be in the background eating a tub of cherries while Mushtaq Ahmed singing. <laughs> be still. <laughs> eating her. Um, but but I've, but I've but seen you when, we, when we've been on world road trips in the past. You've made me stop yeah. so you can eat fruit fruit off the side of the road. I mean, this isn't something unusual mm. for you. It's, it's. I mean, I think from memory, didn't we once? Didn't we stop once so you could eat an apple off it? You, I'm just making. We've been on the road a lot together, and that, and I believe yeah. you entirely when you say you stop and pluck cherries off the tree.
1: Well, no, I didn't. I didn't pick them myself, but you know, you can you can buy a bag. I, I have picked like blackberries and things like that. There's lots of blackberry you know, brambles in in England where you can get yourself a decent swag on on a walk down. They're usually near train lines for some reason, so as you walk to the station, fill up on blackberries. But nonetheless, Paul Cherry has sent through a number of $4.76 and Paul has also sent a clue saying a quirky, occasionally controversial figure who was one of my favourite players growing up in the 70s. He went all right at the G at a big game in 1977 and has a much more frustrating batting story than the Don against South Africa when the Don was left, 199, not out. And that came in a tour match earlier in the 70s. So that must be the centenary test, Adam. We barely get through a show these days without mentioning the centenary test. It must be <laughs> our most discussed test match. Which means who did significant things in the centenary test?
0: Yeah, we had a, a dance through the batting line up and read the wrong line there because none of the batsmen quite ticked the box, but a bowler did who did bat. Memorably in the centenary test, of course, mm. Kerry O'Keefe had to open up in the second dig after Rick McCosker had his jaw broken uh, the first time around, and and did so commendably. But sort of working through the clue here from Paul about a frustrating score and the link there to Bradman against South Africa in thirty one thirty two, that must be in relation to Bradman's two ninety nine. So that led us, Jeff, to Kerry O'Keefe's. 99, which was in a tour game against Auckland in 1974 at Eden Park. The only time that Kerry O'Keefe got that close to it. Professional 100, I know he made them at club level, but never in his first class column. And he's told the story uh, many times and we went back and listened to one retelling of it. And I think in itself that's worth going through and we can kind of correct the record as we go what do you reckon
1: (laughs) well because um Kerry's version of the story does not line up with the official records (laughs) of what happened that day which does tend to happen a bit in cricket I suppose but he's got a very good memory for a lot of other things but hmm, uh, well you 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 give us Kerry's version of events and I'll give you the official version as we go
0: yeah and and I should say Kerry sometimes listens to the final word and if you are we're, we're not taking the piss we love the poetic license you've taken here So, 1974, against Auckland, Eden Park, Ian Chappell's captain, and Kerry, the way he explained it a couple of years ago, was that he was sent up to bat at number five on the basis that he didn't have a lot of confidence with the ball at that moment, and Ian Chappell thought that giving him a chance to make some runs uh, might uh, help him with his bowling. So thus, he walks out batting number five, and he's 81, not out, at the close on the penultimate evening.
1: Of course, that could not have happened because on the scorecard, he's listed batting at number seven. Um, So unless there were some shenanigans happening with the scorecard, that was not the case. He came out to bat when Australia were 138 for five, and that's the only point where big partnerships start happening. So that must be correct that he came out to bat at seven. So maybe he meant five down rather than at number five.
0: That's okay Either way He mentions being In the top six And thus he had A number of partners To follow the following day Including Walters Marsh and Gilmore Who'd all been on the piss The night before (laughs) Out till 3am And all fell quickly Which left him To bat with the tail And that's Broadly right, but the way well, he's...
1: I don't know about that because <laughs> one Doug Walters didn't play, wasn't wasn't even in the eleven. Two Rod Marsh made seventy, and they put on a partnership of hundred and two. <laughs> uh, three Gary Gilmore made fifty seven, and they put on a partnership of ninety two. Okay, and then Ray Bright made twenty eight, and they put on a partnership of forty eight. So down until uh, what number nine? Uh, there was a fair bit of support for Gary while he was out there batting. If okay, he, did, he came in at seven.
0: Okay, so maybe he did go to bed on 81 Not Out, but maybe it was having put on those partnerships with the aforementioned trio of big Mm -hmm. drinkers or or some version of that.
1: Yeah, because what what I can tell you is is that what happened uh, in the last partnership is that... Kerry O'Keefe made 18 runs in the last partnership and Ashley Mallett made one. So if he had been 81 overnight, the 18 would have taken him to 99, but that would have been batting with the last pair because Max Walker made a duck and then Mallett made one. Well, the way that the story is picked up is that when
0: Mallett walks out, he's on 99. And he'd advanced from 81 to 99 in singles through the morning. And then he had Mallet as the last man standing. And as he says there, we didn't get on. He and Ashley Mallets, of course, they would have been spin rivals uh, for the Australian berth at the time. And he explained to Mallet that he was going to try and push wide of cover. And he asked him, if I do that, will you run? And Mallet replied, I might. <laughs> so, so he pushed it to cover. And he said yes. And Mallett said, wait. And he was run out by, as Kerry puts it, 16 yards. And that was the last time he ever spoke to him. (laughs) So he ended up falling, as we say, one run short of that 100. So, yeah, he he might have been out there with Mallet for a bit longer than that. But the final bit, the last Mm. part of the story about being barbecued, seems like it's bang on.
1: Well, Ashley Mallett did make a run, so there must have been a single for him in there at some point. Kerry O'Keefe was 99 not out with Mallett run out, and uh, he did take Australia from 138 for five up to 399 all out. So he did commendably, but that was his his one shot at a first-class ton and didn't quite get there. And that must be the number from Paul Cherry, which was 476, which was the number of first-class wickets taken by Kerry O'Keefe.
0: Nice to put the bow on that. I thought you were going to miss the, miss the bit about the 476, but nevertheless. Never miss the number. Come, have a little faith. Paul Cherry... Uh, thank you for being part of the fun here on Nerd Pledge. If you want to join our little community, and it's a lovely community, patron.com forward slash the final word. Um, As Jeff mentioned in the intro, you can uh, send through a number that relates to cricket. We can work it out. Usually we do this on Storytime, our weekly history show about the stories of cricket, all based around the numbers. We put the first of those out for 2021. On Saturday, if you're new to the show and you've found the final word courtesy of our dailies, uh, go back in your feed and you'll see story time edition number 30 i think it was and we had a lot of fun recording that on our producer's balcony on jay's balcony last friday night it's quite lovely so and that's uh, a show that gets made for every saturday or every sunday and we'll keep doing it all the way through 2021 so patron.com forward slash the final word and, and get stuck in and, you know, on that conversation there, there's so many lovely chats taking place on there between different patrons and with us as well it's uh yeah some of the most enjoyable work we do
1: Thank you, Adam. Uh, right, the English team, they're in Sri Lanka. They're not necessarily having a great time of things with Moen Ali quarantined after picking up COVID, presumably in the UK before arriving and then ending up isolated and being quarantined and likely to miss the first couple of tests, it looks like. And I, I think they're sort of weighing up whether to just let him go home. Mm. Um, but, yeah, that, that's a, a fairly sad side story for you know a, a player who's had his battles in test cricket and come back into the squad to go on this tour and and then won't be able to play for at least the first two. Yeah, it'll mean that
0: Don Bess and Jack Leach partner up as England spinners. I don't think they've ever done that together. So, of course, Somerset, they did for a long stretch of time. There was this funny situation at the end of the 2020 season where when Somerset made the final at Lords, Leach was picked as the spinner, which meant that Bess, the incumbent England spinner, was 12th man. Uh, which you know um, says a bit about why Best then in turn signed a contract and moved clubs at the end of the year. So, but Joe Root will be there as a backup spinner, and, and we've seen he's been quite effective in recent years. Jeff as the third spinner; he took wickets in South Africa last year playing that role. So, Johnny Bairstow's returned to the Test team, Joss Butler to wicketkeeper ahead of Ben Folkes, who was Player of the Series uh, when they played in Sri Lanka two years ago. And perhaps most exciting out of anything is that Dan Lawrence is finally going to make his test debut. boo. I say finally, he's 23 but massive raps on this kid from Essex. I've had the chance to watch him back quite a bit in the last few years. He's incredibly exciting the way he plays especially through the leg side he's been part of successful teams with Essex he's been now given a taste of international cricket through the big bash well not international cricket but playing abroad he made a century at the MCG last year against the pink ball in a tour game against Australia Ray playing for the England Lions so he's done that apprenticeship at every level and he looks good to go at number five.
1: Yeah, and, and we'll have the opportunity to make a debut in Sri Lanka, which worked out beautifully for Sean Marsh, of course. Yes. Century on <laughs> debut in that in that part of the world. And I suppose they're, they're playing in Gaul first up, which will be strange to be playing there with no crowd, given it's usually such a festive sort of mm. venue with the you know, supporters up at the fort and, and down in the ground and all the rest of it. But they'll have to find a way to produce that... Um, that, that kind of enthusiasm for the game amongst the teams themselves. They, they do have a couple of other backup spin options uh, who are specialist spinners, but they they want to go with Root as the third spinner, basically just to make sure that they can strengthen the batting but also have more options of quicker bowling as well. I think the idea is that because they've got Ollie Stone and Mark Wood there, they want one of the properly fast quicks to as an option to try to rattle Sri Lanka with a newer ball if that seems like something that might work at the time. We saw Mitchell Stark bowl really well there in 2016, so it can be a ground and a surface that works well for properly fast bowlers um, if they're able, Well, particularly with that velocity, they can reverse the ball on what's usually a pretty abrasive pitch.
0: Yeah, and that spot on about reverse swing, they'll want to see Mark Wood reversing it and Stone's a perfect backup if they want to you know, split them, play one in either test match. Archer and Stokes aren't there. They're both resting and they'll be... Um, part of the the Indian leg of the tour, if you like. They're playing four tests over Mm. there next month, so that means Sam Curran uh, gets the chance as the primary all-rounder. You know, got such a fantastic record in, I think, has he played in a test loss yet? It's some, you know, if he has, it's like once. So when Sam Curran Mm. plays England, Tend to win, which makes it all the more curious that he didn't play in the Ashes series at all in 2019. I'm sure he will play in Australia later in the year. And there will be space for Broad or Anderson. I don't really know how they'll, how they'll manage that. Two years ago, if I recall correctly... I think Anderson played one and Broad played the other. They split it up and that would seem logical given their back-to-back test matches and there's three here, but there was three in 2018, sorry. There were three last time,
1: time, two here. Yeah, Yeah.
0: whether it's like, say, Stone and Anderson playing one and Broad and Wood playing the other, and I think Woody's going to play this week, that that might be the right balance in making sure they, they get the most out of that pace attack and that they're not playing fatigued.
1: I think that's the idea: is is to to swap them on that basis, and you know, stop the the senior players from getting um, shitty about it. Because we all know that you know <laughs> Broad and Anderson are very understanding about being rotated and left out <laughs> of the side. Absolutely, no worries with playing the squad first game there. And the other point is that well, you mentioned sort premier all rounder, but that's not necessarily the case, except that Chris Wokes can't really contest for that spot because he's been in quarantine for a week and so he hasn't got his bowling loads up and so he's he's basically he hasn't been officially ruled out but he sort of ruled himself out almost because the others have been out there bowling for a week and acclimatizing and he's been stuck in the hotel room because he shared a car with Moeen Ali on the way to the airport in England um, and thus had to quarantine he's he's been cleared of COVID and hasn't contracted it but there was a risk that he might have
0: yeah, he's a close contact. It's, it's interesting when you think that when COVID blew up, they were in Sri Lanka preparing themselves to play this tour. And before that, they were in South Africa where there was a number of illnesses through the camp. None of them were COVID that we know of, but so many players fell ill in early 2020. So I suppose they know what, what it's all about when it comes to being careful and all that test cricket they played in the bubble through 2020. So they'll be well placed against Sri Lanka who... Look, they're coming off a heavy defeat in South Africa. Unfortunately, I think it's reasonable to conclude that they're nowhere near the mark at the moment. There'll be a handful at home, they always are, but taken as a whole, it's been a while since... We have thought of Sri Lanka as a team that can seriously compete against the top handful of sides, of which England are, and England did win their 3-0 in, in 2018. We were saying the other week that the fact that Diramane is still kind of getting a game despite averaging 22, it's probably unfair to put all that onto him, but it's emblematic of the fact that they are a fair way short and the fact that Dun & Jay De Silva tore his hamstring and he's a real handful with the ball and bat uh, as an all-rounder, especially at home, so that'll weaken them yet further
1: they had a huge injury toll in south africa and i think it's worth remembering that in 2019 they went to south africa and beat them 2-0 over there you know which which wasn't that long ago um, the the early part of the year then and it was an upset it it was unexpected but they do have that sort of quality of mm. player you know you you look through their some of their up-and-coming fast bowlers like uh, Kamara and Regita Fernando are genuinely quality options. They've, the way that Kusal Mendes has batted in the top order for a while, Dunajar De Silva, another one you mentioned. So, like, there's there's quality there, but I think they're mostly a pretty green team and suffering a lot of injuries as well. So, but they've always had that capability, even when being unimpressive away from home, Sri Lanka, of coming back to home conditions and dominating when it wasn't expected. You know, that 2016 tour I mentioned, I think most people expected Australia to stroll over there and, and wipe them out and Australia got absolutely demolished. You know, they, they did have Rangana Herath Bowling at the time, who was one of the all-time greats, um, but it still wasn't expected that he was going to shred through, what, 27 wickets in three tests, I mm. think it was. So you would be very foolish to discount them. I think England will be... They will be wary and they need to
0: be. Yeah, let's hope that's right and that we have a tight tussle across two test matches uh, starting on Thursday. Jeff, that's enough from us, I think. What was meant to be a very short, sharp episode is probably now going to be something like 80-odd minutes by the time this is all said and done. But um, And thanks to Dave Collins, our editor, for um, surely having to put in quite a bit of work to make it. So uh, thank you to Bad Producer Productions for always looking after us, uh, Astrid Edwards and Jay Mueller. We're a proud member of their label, badproducerproductions.com, to learn more about what they do. If you've been enjoying the final word India dailies, they are back from, obviously, day one at the Gabba. We'll be there, Jeff, uh, every night, um, recording for about 15 to 20 minutes. And so not only will we be recording for the podcast, we'll be on YouTube. Thanks to everybody who's migrated from one platform to the other and subscribed and told their friends and has enjoyed the work of Cam Fink. It's been some just some beautiful shots, especially last week when we were able to go around and visit different Venues in Melbourne So even if you uh, Have no interest In hearing about Say day two Of the Sydney test match You can see Jeff and I In a massive Ferris wheel Around Melbourne Which (laughs) might be Interesting even now so that's uh, easily searchable at the final word cricket podcast on YouTube thanks to all of our patrons patron.com forward slash the final word you are what makes the world go around for us and we love your support and friendship along the way uh, thank you to C bus super thank you to wisdom cricket monthly and, uh, and thank you to you Jeff as always for your spirited conversation
1: <laughs> I um, had a chat to my old man the other day and I said oh we recorded a thing on a giant Ferris wheel and he goes oh yeah had its ups and downs. <laughs> got to love dad,
0: dad gags easy he there G- for the
1: taking <laughs> no, it doesn't matter how old you are your dad will still make those jokes <laughs> uh yeah we'll we'll India daily it'll be fun I'll be up in Brisbane very very shortly and uh, we'll be we'll be into some test match cricket Oh, that's just classic test match cricket final word me him guess that's it see you, sir so
0: you know what I meant I had to go